Hi, everybody. This is episode five of the Rupee Wolf Show. I am your host, Yogi Moria. Today, I'm going to give you my thoughts on Chris Wilder and Sheffield United and everything that they're achieving so far in the Premier League. And then I'm going to wrap up with uh, explaining uh, in further detail uh, the interview I had with Richard Hood because I think the points he, he makes are, are so, so important that we can't emphasize them enough for us here in Indian football. So, Sheffield United, of course, everybody's paying attention to them because, uh, you know, they're sitting in there in the European places, staring even a Champions League place in the face and doing it on the lowest wage bill in the Premier League. So obviously everybody's asking the question of, are they for real? And uh, certainly you'd have to say so. And the reason I felt like talking about them, it's, it's obvious that they're a great story, but uh, Chris Wilder had an interview after the Liverpool game, which struck a chord with me and some of my colleagues in England, actually, who were coaching. Really struck a chord with us because after the interview, he went in and they asked him, you know, well, what did you think of the game? And he said, you know, um, for, for all the nonsense I have to hear from these academy coaches about technical and tactical and then he went on to describe how Liverpool basically won every first ball, every second ball. Uh, they went forward and supported play, real positive, and then they got back on defense and basically said they outcompeted them. And he was more disappointed that they outcompeted them than anything that had to do with the te technical or tactical aspect of the game. And he, he made this comment, and he did it again later in the press conference. And, you know, when you're a coach, the, uh, uh, you know, and you watch all these interviews, you pay attention to them. That, that struck a chord with me that he was waiting for an opportunity to just say this. And I was wondering why, what, what could I possibly assume about why he was seething and wanted to just get this off his chest and do it on a stage like that? You know, everybody's paying attention after you play Liverpool. They may not be playing as much attention when you're playing some of the lower teams. You're playing the top team. Um, they're going to watch what he has to say a little more. And I could only come up with this sitting here in India so far away and not knowing, but being a coach, I think he must've seen some kind of Academy games going on somewhere. And he was not pleased with the performances he saw. And those coaches must've told him something about, you know, some tactical thing, uh, you know, technical thing. And he, he probably said, you know, in his mind, he's probably thinking this is a load of bull. First thing you need to get straight is how competitive you are. And I, I feel this is exactly what happened. And he must have heard it over and over. And he was completely pissed off. And I just went back and looked at his interviews, okay, from when he's at, pardon me, Northampton. And when he first took the Sheffield job and some of the other interviews while he was at, uh, you know, in the championship with Sheffield. Okay, now let's just look at his track record. Okay, he got Oxford up from the conference, I think. Northampton, he joined them and very early on in his tenure, uh, you know, a funding problem happened. And it was a bit of a disaster. They went into uh, almost into administration and got a winding up order, I think, where wages weren't being paid to players, staff. And he shielded his staff and players 
largely from it, got out in front and then threw some punches for them, kept everyone motivated and got that team promoted. <laughs> um, and, you know, for someone who can do that, certainly if you're a, a, an owner, an investor, you're going to pay attention to that because that is probably the highest level of fighting off adversity and still competing. And then he went to Sheffield and uh, I think they had a record number of points, 100 points. One league one, and I went back and looked at the interviews. And he's openly telling you, my priority number one is the attitude. And I don't care if people think it's boring. It's priority one. Then comes, you know, the, the high performance physical aspects, the technical aspect, the tactical elements. Those are all important. He's by no means trying to say they're not important. But number one is to use his phrase, getting in people's faces. You know, after the Liverpool game, I think he used the phrase, we didn't really get in anyone's face. You know, we didn't land the glove. It's a much better way to describe pressing and what he wants. You know, and I, I, there was an anecdote in there where he's talking about how he made the players wear shin guards at practice. How many of us in India, you know, coaches are frustrated because we tell our players the same thing and they still show up without shin guards. You find them, you do everything, they still do it. Sheffield United has been promoted from League One. Two years, they're promoted from the championship. They're sitting in the European places in the Premier League. And the coach is openly telling the world, wearing shit guards of practice is important for the message that I'm giving the players, that we're going to train at high intensity. And that's the way I expect you to play the game. And why it struck a chord with me is because I think I experienced the same thing here. I speak to coaches and you know, we're so focused on what Bielsa and Guardiola and Klopp are doing tactically. But if you even talk to them, they're going to echo it. Wilder says the first part is competing. At least that's what I believe. And some of this comes, this whole thing where the score doesn't matter. I accept that, that you want, you know, you want to build a, a better technical version of players coming out of the back and there's going to be mistakes and, you're going to give up goals in the development age, and it's okay. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's okay not to compete. And I think we've lost something. We're losing something in this whole thing where the result doesn't matter. That doesn't mean you're not putting in a value system where it's okay to, to not put in a shift. you got to put in a shift. And I think that goes for any su supporter-driven uh, sport all over the world, but you know, you, you, the majority of supporters are not sitting in the, the director suite. They're hard working class people anywhere in the world, any sport. And they want to see people put in a shift because that's what they do in their job. And they don't, they sure as heck don't get all the glamor and benefits and financial packages that these players and staff do. So they want everyone to put in a shift. And uh, it struck me because, look, I'm around Indian football. I still I see a lot of prima donnas hanging around here. We're in India. You know, we're not, you know, I hope we sniff the World Cup some point in my lifetime. I don't think it's happening particularly soon. Not because, I, 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 you know, I don't like what we're doing. But let's just, you know, take a little bit of this humility pill from 
a top, top manager right now who's telling you, in the first part, just get this right. Get the competitive element right. Then worry about the next piece. And I've seen a lot of second division games. I've seen a lot of other games, and I see it. Players don't run back. Players don't fight for first and second balls. Same stuff he's talking about, okay? And whether we like it or not, or we want to focus on all the fancy parts of it, um, that's a big part of a coach's job is to get uh, – one is to assemble players who have that attitude and then to get them to do it day in and day out, okay? So – I think Sheffield United is for real. Certainly, you know, all these teams that are money balling it, they're going to have probably some years that are up and down. All of them, you know, Burnley, Bournemouth, um, you know, you look at West Brom, you look at stuff. All of them have periods where it might be difficult. And, you know, going to, if they do go into Europe, pardon me, if they do go into Europe and, and do this, which I'm sure – you know, they're hoping me and anyone else talking about this right now doesn't jinx it. Um, you know, we'll have to see how they react to playing every three days. But, you know, you, you look at this manager and why would you bet against him? Look at his track record. I wouldn't. And uh, it's, it's nice to see they locked him up for four, four and a half years and they're going to let him keep working. And, you know, because <laughs> if they didn't, there is no shortage of teams that were going to call Chris Wilder and say, I'm sending a jet. We couldn't get you here fast enough. Okay. So yeah, I'm impressed. And uh, uh, I hope to see this kind of, these kind of values continue to be promoted because it's a breath of fresh air uh, to, to hear this non elitism coming from someone who's in the position he's in. And you could tell that he's putting those values to work in Sheffield United in that culture there. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Um, and look, guys up in the Premier League, they all got to look over their shoulder. They're doing it on the lowest wage bill. So every director is going to turn around and say, hey, what are they doing that we haven't figured out? You know, what's with their recruitment and their, their culture of performance that we're missing? And the manager's out there giving you the simplest formulas possible. And, and don't think that he's not a tactical uh, savant. He is. He's doing certain things that people are paying attention to with the way he plays the five and the three, um, the, the overloads they're creating. There's, there's plenty of that going on, okay? And uh, more power to him. I, I have to say thank you uh, uh, that somebody – for all of us coaches who talk about this and feel like nobody wants to listen to us because we're not, um, you know, we're not talking about whatever inverted fullbacks and counter pressing. And, you know, for all of us who are still talking about this part of the game and, and know that it's as important as all the other stuff, uh, th I have to say, thank you. And, you know, if you don't, let, let's take some other elite coaches that get covered. You know, I remember the, the, the Red Bull uh, Salzburg halftime talk from Jesse Marsh went viral. You don't need to speak German to know that he wasn't saying, he wasn't talking about half spaces and, you know, false nines. <laughs> halftime team talk. He was telling them to get in people's faces and in the, in the middle of a bunch of expletives, a lot of other stuff, which basically was, Get in there and compete. 
And uh, I, I went back, I, I got, I looked at some talks from Zanadine Zidane, you know, what was it, two or three Champions Leagues he's got in a row or something? You know, as soon as you don't know whether it was two or three and it was in a row, you know he's won a lot. His halftime team talks all about the level of intensity and competing. It doesn't mean that they're ignoring the tactical parts. They're, they're not ignoring that in those changes. It's just as important. But you're still dealing with human beings, not robots. And they got to go out there and keep their intensity level high. So... I hope I've been persuasive enough and that this has been helpful to coaches. Um, and uh, it's a segue for me because I want to get into what Richard said. And I, I tried to hint at it. There's one big theme. And if, look, if, you, if you're able to listen in and, and, and you picked up, it was easy. He was saying that we're not playing enough games at youth level and we're not, we, we need to make sure we have a competitive game culture. And he went and talked about it. It's, it's not just the number of games, but it's what's the culture. And the culture, you know, the banter between coaches and parents and that, that actually is something that is a part of Indian spectator culture. You know, people are competitive and he went on to talk about cognition and how, how fast the game is at youth and how, how that's the repetition that you need. And, and it, it's such a simple formula, but you know, I'm talking about Wilder. He's giving you a simple formula. Get out there and compete is step number one. And same thing with youth, more games that are competitive where people are fighting for stuff and you're going to see the skill development. And, and, and if, if you want to argue with me about this, Fair enough. I've been in India long enough. Go to the Northeast, Mizoram, Manipur, Meghalaya. You know, okay, there's a case for Kerala. But if you go to those three states, largely produced, you know, I'm going to throw Bai Ching in there because it's sick him. These states in the Northeast that have largely produced the finest technical players we have in India. How many coaches are there doing elite level youth development through all these years? But we know that the kids play everywhere in every village. They put two sticks, two stones, uh, you know, two pieces of long hay, whatever it is to make a goal, and they play. Who are their coaches? Dads. Dads are farmers. They're uncles. You know, big brother. They're not coaching them. They're telling them to compete. You know, why do they pass? They go at night, that Saturday nights. They watch football like everyone else. They see the players passing to each other. They see 1v1 duels happen, and they go out and do it on the field. I'm not saying that the academy – I have academies. I have, you know, uh, I'm involved in youth development programs. Uh, uh, I'm not saying that. Of course, they're important, and they play their role. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's not an efficient process. We know that. I mean, what is it, 0.01 or 0.1%, whatever it is. But as, long as, you're, you, as soon as you're below 1% of all, all guys in the English youth, youth academies, apparently, according to that book, they're not going to get a first-team contract. So clearly, it's a very inefficient process that we have. Okay. If you can even go and double that number, you're making a huge improvement in the efficiency. Just imagine that. Starting where they are. <laughs> so Richard's message is, let's get that culture of playing every day in competitive games back. 
focus on that. And he's tried to help with the baby league format. I'm running a baby league and there's issues, you know, kids don't, can't make it during the week easily. It's difficult. And the culture of playing in the neighborhood has changed. And whether we like it or not, it's not what it used to be for all kinds of reasons. Lack of space, pressure with school, traffic and commuting times. You know, kids are on buses for an hour and a half going back and forth to their school and it's in the same city they're in. I grew up in an era where, you know, the school bus came in front of my house and I was in school in 10 minutes. It would be five if we didn't have to stop 50 times. You could walk to the school if you, if you didn't have a ride. You could walk home if you didn't have a ride. It, but, and, and when you got home, you could count on kids were playing in the neighborhood and you could get in a game, whatever the game is. You know, football, basketball, hockey, baseball, you know, whatever the game is. You could count on it that there's a game going on. Now that has largely changed and we need to accept that. Um, so in, in a new India where um, people are thriving, the middle class is thriving, how do we do that? It's going to take a little bit of an inorganic uh, uh, push. And, you know, um, I'm going back to, to Wilder here. Don't think that licensing every coach is going to change that. This has nothing to do with the license and being an elitist coach. It's got to deal with communities uh, and the parents in those communities, the, you know, the shop owners in those communities, the, the, the elders in those communities, um, being given some encouragement to go out there and, and get kids playing every day and having fun, okay? And then, of course, all the opportunities to learn and develop through the academy pathways, they're, they're there. They're coming up regularly, too, and those opportunities are there. But we need to get that piece uh, uh, right uh, on a massive scale. And the Northeast has gotten it right. You know, and now, now more coaches are going in there. Now, I, I hope that uh, it only adds to what they're doing. It doesn't detract. You know, because coaches – you know, what we've seen, and, and I speak about this with my, my friends and colleagues, coaches can destroy development. Keep that in mind. So, you know, uh, let's hope that we don't do that and we get on the right path here with this. Um, I'm going to close off with something on accountability just because it's been in the news. And uh, it's a sport I like. I know that. You guys do see some of the highlights in India, Major League Baseball, but the Houston Astros. Major League Baseball punished these guys for, for cheating, stealing signs, using technology, is banned. $5 million fine, the maximum they could do. Two years of first and second round draft picks taken away. Now, they're drafting pretty low because they finish high, but the Astros are very adept at drafting, so that does hurt. And the uh, manager and the general manager suspended for a year, and then they were fired by the owner. And just to comment on the, the owner firing them immediately, you know, hardly waited an hour before he announced that firing them. That is accountability. Number one, I think he knows that the punishment MLB did uh, big, but he didn't want to comment. He knew that it didn't go far enough. Because they, but, but it went as far as probably they could really realistically go. I mean, how much more could they do? They weren't going to take away the World Series. Uh, 
And he knew he had to do this because there's no way. Come on, I read the statement from Hinch. Respected, great respect for this guy by everybody. Knows how sharp he is. But he wanted to emphasize how he wasn't really implicated in starting the scheme and he mashed, bashed the monitor twice. That's not accountability. He's the manager. He's controlling every single thing that goes on on that field uh, to the extent he can. They're shifting one centimeter. He's in on it. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's calling game. He's a manager. <laughs> and he's going he's gonna to try and tell everyone that. He's not accountable. He is. And I think Crane and Hinch, Hinch and Luno, these guys, I mean, I don't know. Luno should get another job. Hinch definitely will. I mean, he'll do his, he'll do his time and he's too good a manager and would have learned his lesson from this, I'm sure. Um, and there's no reason to feel sorry for these guys. They all can survive a year out of the game. Uh, uh, so in terms of accountability, you know, I think this is a great example of one where – uh, they're being held accountable, and rightfully so, and good job by the owner. Um, and uh, uh, this other uh, element of Luna, I'm just going to comment on because you can, you can smell it when you listen to the interviews. He's got a background where, you know, he's come out of consulting and, you know, there's this whole movement with the Ivy Leaguers. I, <laughs> unfortunately, I think I happen to be one. And you can smell from people in baseball that, the elitism and the I'm smarter than you element that came out of that Astros culture, the off the pitch culture and that analytics department up to the GM, you know, the assistant got fired for the comments he made. This whole elitist attitude is something that was commented on by the commissioner of the sport. So again, um, you know, just pointing out, for people like me who believe in humility, uh, fuck the head of a, the tough love goes on here at our club. Um, I'm just giving you examples how arrogance does not resonate with the vast majority of people who support these sports. No matter how big the money gets for the players, the agents, the coaches, no matter how big the exposure gets around the world, Humility is something that supporters almost always will resonate with. And if you're not and you make bad decisions like this, people aren't going to feel sorry for you. So good opportunity to learn a lesson. Take stock if you're sort of letting your ego get in front of you. We've all done it. Um, take a deep breath, you know, and, and, Remember that the values are still what's the most important thing that, you know, in your football, maybe we're a long way off, but we can still teach great values that make, you know, great players become great people when they're done playing. You know, great coaches are contributing beyond just coaching uh, football, contributing as citizens because we're in a position to teach these values. We're very privileged that we have the opportunity to influence and impact how people think and act. Those are the values that you teach as a coach. So I feel um, very strongly about this, that if we can you know, make that something that's important, the values that we're teaching, then I think a lot of other things are going to come along the way that we want to see happen. 
So thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I have on the next episode another guest. Um, I will only say that you all know him well, who follow Indian football, and I'm looking forward to an exciting conversation. So thank you all for tuning in again, and cheers. Good night.